HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Do you need a CPA that you can trust with all your taxes and financial needs? Look no further than Joanne Flash Fleming at Fleming & Associates CPA. For more info, go to flashfleming.com or email Joanne directly at j-o-a-n-n-f-l-e-m-i-n-g at flashfleming.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good afternoon, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're going to be talking all about food policy councils. What are food policy councils? What do they do? Where are they located? And why are they so important, especially in this day and age? Joining us on the line uh, today to delve into this issue are three experts in the field who have been involved with food policy councils for some time. We have Claire Fox, the executive director of the LA Food Policy Council, which is a nonprofit cross-section organization devoted to the health, fairness, and sustainability of food. We also have both Karen Banks and Lily Sussman from the Food Communities and Public Health Program at the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, which promotes research to develop and communicate information about the complex interrelationships among diet, food production, environment, and human health. We have a full house today, and I want to say welcome to Karen, Lily, and Claire. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so let's start with the most obvious question. Karen, can you um, tell us generally what is a food policy council and what kind of work do they do? Sure, happy to. Um, a food policy council is a group of citizens, uh, government employees, business mem- representatives, nonprofit organizations. It's a multi-stakeholder coalition, so a group of members in a community that come together to work on food and farm policy issues. Um, they're coming together because they want to make some sort of change within their community around how their food is produced, how citizens are able to access food, um, what happens at the end of the line when it gets wasted. 
so they're really trying to, there's a, a multiple issues that they're trying to address, um, and a lot of it depends on the community they're working in, the people that are at the table, um, and the cultural and political environment that they work in that shapes the policies that they're trying to implement. Uh, how, how long has the center been researching and working on food policy councils, um, and why did they kind of get started in this field? The Center for a Livable Future started the Food Policy Networks Project in 2013, um, and it, it grew out of work that Mark Winnie was doing with the Community Food Security Coalition. And once that Community Food Security Coalition disbanded in 20, uh, 2012, uh, Mark came to us and was looking for a home uh, for the work he was doing with food policy councils and around food policy. And the center embraced it. Um, we do a lot of research and work on different issues related to food and agricultural production, um, to antibiotic use in agricultural production. We do work on aquaculture and some around, and we do some policy work at the federal level, but um, we're really, you know, we're trying to apply what we know about the food system and about the research that we do, and also the research that we do in communities mm -hmm. within those local communities and working on policy. So it was a good fit for our research and sort of a, an applied way of bringing it back to the communities and translating it to them and helping them to kind of be owners of what's happening with their food system in their community. And what are the, you mentioned kind of when describing um, what a food policy council is, that there, it seems to be a lot of um, different types um, of models. So can you um, tell us what, you know, are there certain like buckets of different um, food policy councils in terms of how they're categorized, or is it like generally um, kind of the same makeup? So there's no one-size-fits-all food policy council. Um, they vary in terms of the geographic level that they're trying to influence. So some are located in cities and are only working on urban issues. Some are doing both city and county level work. Some work at a state level. Some work across different counties, uh, multiple counties or in regions. Um, so there's no there's no one model that works. We do a survey of food policy councils every year since we started the project to understand what their different models are and how they um, vary and change. And our survey has changed over time as we learn more about food policy councils. Um, in addition to geographic levels, they also vary in terms of their their structures. So some are located within government. Mm -hmm. uh, some are strictly nonprofit uh, supported by nonprofits. Some are their own nonprofits. Uh, some are just grassroots coalitions of groups of individuals coming together to work on issues. Um, so we're trying to understand how those different dynamics and structures and at what levels they work at, how they change over time, um, and what makes them successful in the communities that they're located. Um, so we are going to, in a little bit, talk um, more to you, Claire, who can give us a great um, example of, you know, in, in real time, what you guys are working on um, at the LA Food Policy Council. But I want to talk now a little bit more about the report that you uh, mentioned. And um, Lily, as a, as a co-author of this report, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what specifically you were studying, you know, kind of some of the metrics um, and how you mm -hmm. hope to use the information that you pulled together. Sure. So Karen sort of explained there's a lot of different broad buckets. So two of the main things that we started with were the types, so whether or not they're 
uh, city, county, region, state, and then also the jurisdiction. So, you know, one thing we found in this report is that 37% are nonprofit, about a third of them are grassroots coalition, about a quarter are within uh, government, and then, you know, there's smaller percentages that are within, uh, for example, an extension office. Um, we also found that there's about 38% who operate at a county level. Um, and then the states were interesting, just looking at the distribution. So most states do have a food policy. That's actually trivia fact. So um, <laughs> it was just so South Dakota, Wyoming, and New Hampshire were the only three states we found that didn't have a food policy council. The rest huh. of the states had one or multiple, um, in some cases, quite a few. California, North Carolina, and Colorado were the top contenders in the Food Policy Council numbers contest. Um, and then we looked at a bunch of other things. So we looked at funding, we looked at their priorities, we looked at how they connect and engage with the government, whatever level they're working on, whether it's just their you know, city government or whether they're engaged in more state or federal work. And so I can I can kind of delve into any of those more specific categories. I don't know where you want to sort of start. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I think maybe some of the just kind of, I mean, what are you hoping to do with this information, basically, that you have pulled together? So I think the report was really important. As um, Karen mentioned, this is this report, this specific uh, survey has been done for three years or four years now. This was the fourth year. And this is the first time that we're, we wrote this report and sort of put it out there because I think it's, I think as the numbers increase, so there's been a huge increase in the number of food policy councils, I think especially since around 2005, mm-hmm. to maybe jump in, there's been a really big increase. So down to, I don't know, like way under 100, maybe 50, 60 to now. This year, there were 324 food policy councils included in the report, and 216 were active in their, sorry, 214 were active in the United States. So I think knowing just the sheer numbers of them, it's important to start to understand what they're doing and how they're influencing food policy mm-hmm. on a national level. And I think when we start to kind of look at what they're doing and what their priorities are, and then provide this platform where they can share information and strategies with each other and citizens start to become more aware and maybe, you know, have the opportunity to see if it's something they want to get involved. And I think that's kind of how we, we help them. We help Mm -hmm. them engage and be able to make the kinds of um, changes or policy priorities that they are going for. Um, So like a resource. Yeah, so I think yeah. the report, I mean, putting the report together is a resource, and it's also, I think, a statement, because I think when you just see one food policy council, you know, maybe having a certain initiative, that's that's great, but that's a very small mm-hmm. um, movement. But when you right. kind of put all this information together, I think it's really important to be able to see the scope of it nationally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, you know, this is funny that um, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation was kind of from my own experience um, and, you know, full disclosure here, guys. But um, <laughs> working in the New York City's Office of Food Policy, it was kind of our job to, like, oversee and coordinate all of the different food issues happening across city agencies and kind of spanning from food access to urban ag and everything in between. And, you know, we worked with external stakeholders 
et cetera. So I guess I am coming at this like I, I guess I never understood the need for one in New York City, despite what some advocates <laughs> were calling for, <laughs> um, which is another story. But like, I mean, I <laughs> I guess, you know, how do you sort of determine the need uh, of an, a food policy council in an area? And are there, you know, some communities that maybe need more support than others? So I th- the the need for a food policy council is it's driven by the community that's in in that location. It's driven by those members that that are trying to work on policy, but their voice may not be strong enough as a as a single entity. Mm-hmm. So a nonprofit may be wanting to make change around um, nutrition programs that are happening in their state, or want to try and implement a policy that affects um, farmers' markets and the ability to be able to set them up in certain locations. And they may be reaching some barriers within their government or their government agencies, and they need a stronger voice of support from other organizations or citizens to help them to do that, or they just need to build that relationship with their government so that they can make those changes. Um, and so it really it depends on the context of what's happening in that community in terms of the need for a food policy council. We've seen them grow over the years. Um, Lily was right since 2005. There's been a, a significant increase in councils across the United States because I think that they're trying to make changes at a local level because mm-hmm. they see that have more having more of an impact than say at the national level um, and they, it gives them more control of their communities. Um, you know, in New York, New York is a huge city, so having a coalition of individual community members, it might be hard to start when you have that large of an urban population and you have a government that's trying to do work already around food systems. Uh, but the value that a coalition or a food policy council can bring is that voice from community members. Mm-hmm. It can be the kind of that sounding board for your local government to hear what your community is saying, to hear what the issues are that they're facing. It elevates the voice of your different nonprofits as well, um, as well as your businesses. And it builds those relationships across sectors, across um, industries. And so you start to come together to find solutions, whereas one single entity on its own may not have those relationships but they need them, and so you can bring those groups together to come up with a shared solution that fits the context of the communities that you're working in. I'm totally sold. <laughs> that was a, a great explanation. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, and kind of following up on that, um, I guess the other thing I was I would always wonder is how, um, you know, how can you make great strides um, if, you know, on certain issues, if there's not like a specific government man- mandate to do so? Like, the, also, obviously, I'm like a big fan of regulation, so that's where I'm coming from. But, you know, I'm like, how do you get people to do stuff? How do you move the needle on issues if there's not like, um, yeah, like a specific mandate? Sorry, yes. For the people that are coming together at the table, they're, they're coming together because they haven't made headway on their own. Um, and so they need the other voices that are there to help them. And they're trying to understand the data and the reason what's happening in their communities from those other voices to make a headway. Um, it's very important, not in all cases, but um, with a lot of food policy councils, they do have a strong relationship with their government agencies and departments because they have that's the vehicle through which they're going to make change. And some of those government agencies may not understand where food fits in their agenda. They may not be a rece- they may not have thought about the larger food system, and so the policy council can bring awareness to those entities about how food fits in their agenda and helps to make change with them, um, not necessarily counter to what they're already doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, I would just jump in and yeah. add. So from our survey, almost, I think, 79% said that they engage with the community, and then around 70% said that they really do engage with elected officials to accomplish their goals. So I think that sort of role where you have the flexibility to kind of do both those things. And I, there's some examples of that specifically in our report, but they, they sort of have the structure to kind of be on the outside, mm-hmm. yet they're able to really, you know, work with different sectors in a way that I think is really unique and is needed just by the sheer numbers that are popping up as kind of evidence in itself. So they, so they, you're saying it's like, a, it's also like a mix of government officials and, and other leaders from the community and then and then advocates, like, and then just citizens? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on their structure a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, our results are, from this survey are saying that about um, 23% are really within a government, but then, you know, most of the other ones are outside, whether a nonprofit or um, a grassroots coalition, but they often still are working very closely with the government or with an elected representative. Mm-hmm. And I think having that kind of nimble structure allows them to do things that they kind of wouldn't be able to do if they were situated within, within government in some cases. Yeah. As Colin was saying. What, um, what, Lilia, what are the, some of the, um, you know, are there any specific policy priorities that you were able to pull out, um, which, you know, a lot of councils are working on lately? Yeah, so for the 2006 survey, 16 survey, healthy food access was the top priority. And how it worked for the survey is councils could choose their top three. So 72% of councils ranked that within their top three. So a very high priority. Mm-hmm. Economic development was the second most common. So about 40% of councils mentioned economic development. And then behind that, there were issues of food procurement, um, land use and planning, and anti-hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then councils also talked about organizational priorities, education and inclusion, and then strategic or policy planning were the most common priorities that councils mentioned for this past year. That's a- and each of, these, each of these categories contains subsets of policies that they're working on. So healthy food access could be access to a grocery store in a food desert and trying to site a new store in that area, or it could be increasing access to food stamp, um, use of uh, SNAP or food stamps, uh, EBT at farmer's markets. And so there's a broad range of issues, but they all kind of fall under this priority area. Do they ever focus their work on, on specific public health initiatives? Like, did that show up in the survey results, um, like a soda tax or anything like that? Some... Uh, the council in Berkeley wrote to us and said that uh, they're working on a soda tax, which doesn't fall in those categories. But we do have an other area where they can specify if there's a certain issue area that may not fit in those subcategories that they're working on. And soda tax has come up. It's not uh, it's not a large priority issue for uh, a lot of councils. Mm-hmm. But like in addition, food waste isn't one that we see a lot of councils working on, but we do see kind of growing numbers of councils working on certain issues. Yeah. Um, so there's some stuff that, that are growing. Health, right? Like having healthy food access is pretty yeah. integral. Well, I, I would, I actually um, was surprised that uh, food waste didn't come up um, more either. I mean, I guess, you know, I, I'm thinking of public health. That is, you're, you're more apt to see that in like health departments and 
um, you know, more on like the regulatory side. But something like food waste seems to be something that is um, very popular, uh, you know, in in the country today in general. So um, that was a surprise to me. Um, it's hard to judge. You know, some of these categories are pretty broad. So just because it's not right created in those exact words, I wouldn't say that it doesn't mean it's not something that food policy councils are, in fact, working on. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay. So we're going to go to a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors right now. But um, when we get back, we'll be talking about the work of the L.A. Food Policy Council specifically, as well as what our experts think the future holds for this kind of work. Stay tuned. Are you filing your own taxes and driving yourself crazy? Do you think a professional can do a better job of finding legal deductions? Do you own a business and need help with the accounting and taxes? Are you a not-for-profit business that needs financial guidance? Are you just plain tired of your boring accountant and looking for some fresh eyes? Try Fleming & Associates CPA. At Fleming & Associates, Joanne Flash Fleming can quantify anything in a flash. She'll do your taxes, assess your worth, and is even a forensic accountant an investigator of white-collar crime. Joanne Fleming once said, It was terribly hard for me to read Moby Dick, but put a financial statement or a tax return in front of me, it's like a novel. Imagine that. Has the political and financial news got you feeling down? Joanne Fleming was the accountant for the Occupy Wall Street movement back in 2010. Who better to trust with your financial secrets? For more info, go to flashfleming.com or email Joanne directly, J-O-A-N-N-F-L-E-M-I-N-G at flashfleming.com. On Eating Matters, where today we're speaking with Karen Banks and Lily Sussman from the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, and Claire Fox from the LA Food Policy Council. Okay, Claire, I've got like a million questions for you. <laughs> um, can you uh, can we start by uh, telling us uh, like what the LA Food Policy Council model specifically looks like, and and um, how broad the scope of your mission is? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, as Karen and Lily pointed out. There's no uh, one-size-fits-all food policy council. So our structure is unique and I think represents, in my mind, the future of where food policy councils are headed. And the research sort of points to this, that we're a hybrid. We're a hybrid organization. We're kind of bridging between community and government and even the private sector. So our origin story is we came out of a task force that was convened by the previous mayoral administration. That task force studied our food system for about nine months intensively. They brought together leaders that represented our local and regional food system and came up with a set of recommendations, not just for the mayor and the city of L.A., but also for the county, which is much larger and encompasses 88 incorporated cities 
and uh, large swaths of unincorporated area. One of those recommendations was to create the Food Policy Council as an independent nonprofit with the support of the city to continue to convene leaders and stakeholders and drive forward those recommendations. So we were founded in 2011 and um, housed within the mayor's office, housed within City Hall with a lot of in-kind support from the city up front, mm-hmm. but as an independent organization. So we have a fiscal sponsor that has a 501c3. Um, at this point in time, we're, we're looking at getting our own 501c3, and we operate fairly autonomously from the city to this date. All of our funding, et cetera, is, is pretty independent. So I think that, that shows sort of the trajectory of how food policy councils can work both inside government but also outside. And you're currently still housed within the um, city government? We're not in City Hall anymore, but uh-huh. we are housed by um, by our city. Um, that's sort of our last tie, mm-hmm. which is very much appreciated, of course. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we uh, work with the county government. We have a contract, and they support one of our specific programs. But most of our funding is independent of the city completely. Wow. Um, what? How does your organization get funding? This is a question that I wonder for a lot of food policy councils, and I, I can't imagine... Um, I, I imagine a lot of them struggle with funding. So uh, what's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, we, I think we lucked out in the early days. There was some foundations, private foundations, that, you know, sort of took a leap of faith and saw the potential um, for the Food Policy Council to be a place of inclusive civic participation. So that's the way I think about Food Policy Councils is that, um, whether they're inside government or outside government, they're creating pathways of participation where people, everyday people, as well as leaders and key stakeholders within a regional or local food system can get involved in creating policy change. You know, we always say policy is, is not um, a, a straightforward or clear process for a lot of people. It's kind of uh, mystified for many and feels um, at a distance. And so I think food policy councils bring transparency and bring inclusiveness to the policy development process. Um, you asked about our, our mission and mm-hmm. kind of the breadth of our mission. So we say that our mission is to make Southern California a good food region for all, where food is healthy, affordable, sustainable, and fair. Uh, because of our origin story, I think the gravitational pull was to focus on urban Los Angeles and the city of Los Angeles, obviously with our ties to the mayor's office and local city government, we were able to get a lot done there in the early days, but since then have really continued to broaden our our regional scope to include the county and and even the region. And I think as we move forward, we'll we'll move more in that direction because the food system doesn't end at the borders of the city of L.A. And so knowing that, we want to continue to broaden our scope. And the other thing that I think makes us unique and able to impact on multiple jurisdictions as well as multiple issue areas is that in our founding, we were created with the council itself, which is kind of executive, high-level leadership uh, representing the entire food system from farm to fork and beyond. But we also started with working groups that were open to the public. They were issue areas focused. So, for example, urban agriculture working group, school gardens working group, healthy food access working group. And these are places that you know, we're seated by our, um, what we now call our leadership board, which is the, the council, the founding council. But because they're open, they brought the general public, public and they brought other stakeholders who, whose perspective were very much needed, um, but perhaps we're not going to serve at that level of the council or the board. 
Can you give us an example of, you know, maybe it's like a success that, that the council has and kind of walk us through the steps of, um, you know, how an idea kind of becomes an action or a, or a, a program that, that gets implemented, shepherded sure. through by the, by the policy council? Yeah, I think one of our best success stories that I think is a great example of what a food policy council can produce is the Good Food Purchasing Policy. It's a procurement initiative that represents holistic values for the kind of food system we want to see. It includes standards for environmental sustainability, nutrition, animal welfare, fair labor, and investing in our local economy. And so the City of Los Angeles and Los Angeles Unified School District adopted the Good Food Purchasing Policy back in 2012, but it came about through a very collaborative process in one of our working groups. So it was a a group of people who came together representing all those different issue areas from public health to labor to agriculture to uh, environmentalists. And they realized that they had common cause around public procurement. If we could only get the city or if we could only get the school district to buy more XYZ food, right, fill in the blank with my issue area, mm-hmm. that would make a really big difference. You know, it's the power of the public purse mm-hmm. and sending signals out to the market economy. And they realized that they had that in common. And at first it felt, in the early days of the working group, it felt like, wow, are we, you know, are we asking for too much here? Maybe we should really just hone in on nutrition yeah. and make this a healthy food policy. Or maybe we should just make this a local food policy and, and stick with that. But it was through the collaborative process that they developed a sense of solidarity and said, you know what, we think that we could pull this off together. So let's come up with a set of standards that are flexible and realistic and pragmatic and make it um, something that the city can get behind and stick together. And because we came out of the mayor's office, we did have that connection and the mayor had an appetite to do something progressive around procurement. And so um, it was that that came to life that they did adopt it through executive directive and also the city council adopted it. Um, so who like, uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds, um, familiar to kind of what New York city's experience was, um, in, in a a lot of ways, but who, like, for instance, who was on the working group, right? Like, how did you decide who to pull together? Was it different agency heads, um, you know, heads of certain nonprofits? How did that, how do you determine like the stakeholders to bring to the table? Exactly. We're really committed to bringing together private, public, and nonprofit sectors in all of our working groups and our board level. So the Good Food Purchasing Policy Working Group was comprised of representatives from Los Angeles County Department of Public Health, bringing that expertise and perspective, as well as, for example, the director of the Food Chain Workers Alliance, which is a national organization looking at working conditions in the food system, but their director happened to be based here in Los Angeles. We also had um, representatives from the produce distribution sector who were really keen on developing and supporting local and sustainable food economies. You had representatives from Los Angeles Unified School District who were able to bring their perspective on what they actually can do as a school district. So because they were all in conversation with each other, they were able to come up with something that actually was workable. Um, and it's, you know, it's worth noting that Paula Daniels, um, who was your predecessor, right, um, started this work and we had her on a couple weeks ago to talk about um, the Good Food Purchasing Center. So it seems like that initiative was born out of, um, you know, her, her, the, her organization now is born out of the work that uh, she did with 
the Food Policy Council. Is that right, in L.A.? That's right. It started here in Los Angeles, but really since the moment the L.A. Unified School District adopted the policy, we were fielding inquiries from other school districts and cities across the country. So over the course of about three years and developing a, a program to do the verification work mm-hmm. with the city and with the school district to help them really implement this, it seemed that the timing was right to create a national-facing organization, and that's the Center for Good Food Purchasing. That's that's uh, what Paula is the founding chair of. Um, and uh, so can you also give us an example of how your work is in the process of um, expanding beyond the L.A. municipality of, of L.A. Um, to more regionally focused initiatives? Like what does that kind of look like? or What are some of the issues that you're focusing on regionally? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we're starting with uh, doing an assessment. I think, you know, we've been around for about seven seven years, so it's time to update our files. Our movement has grown incredibly. Conditions have changed. So back in 2013, we produced a document called the Food System Snapshot, which was literally a snapshot of about 100 indicators of health, sustainability, and fairness for our regional food system. And we looked at a 10-county region surrounding Los Angeles County, And we're updating that into something called the Food System Dashboard. And I think this is a really good example of, again, what a Food Policy Council can produce, is creating tools that our stakeholders across the region can use to get a sense of how well are we doing, Mm -hmm. right? Looking back five years ago, where are we winning? Where are we falling behind? We're also disaggregating the data by race and socioeconomics and different geographic communities so we have a sense of where the greatest need is. So looking at the dashboard, I think some of the areas that we're going to be moving into more from a regional perspective is climate and resiliency and thinking about issues of water and agriculture. Um, As I said, our gravitational pull was to work on urban food issues, so Mm -hmm. a lot of healthy food access, food security, poverty, working conditions. That will continue to be true. But looking ahead, I think we do need to coordinate with our partners in other parts of the state and the surrounding region to tackle fundamental issues of um, water, drought, climate change, and how that impacts our um, food production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in terms of other policy priorities, um, Lily, did you, in your report, did you kind of um, get a sense of what the future holds for um, some of these other food policy counties, uh, um, councils throughout the country? (laughs) That's a big question. Um, (laughs) You're like, I don't have that much time. (laughs) I, I mean, it seems like there's just so much range in that. I wouldn't necessarily want generalize. I don't know if Karen might have a better sense because she's worked with some of the the councils a little bit more closely. But I mean, I can see some changes looking back at this survey versus, you know, last year or two years ago. But I don't I don't have enough information really to know if those are indicative of larger trends. What about examples of of other successes throughout the country, um, similar to the one that Claire shared with us? So definitely. I mean, um, sorry, I should have directed Karen, that to somebody. Karen, go for it. Karen yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lily can jump in too because she did some uh, interviews with councils about the work that they're doing. But the successes by councils vary a lot. Um, we do a lot of work with the Baltimore Food Policy um, Advisory Co- Initiative, and they've and they we see successes in what they do 
in terms of they've been able to pass several policies around urban agriculture and around healthy food access uh, for grocery stores. So I think, you know, the thing that shines for them is their ability to connect with every uh, every government department in Baltimore. And so they're working across departments, uh, working with their health department, working with their Department of Transportation, uh, working with waste management. They've been able to infuse the notion that food fits in every department of the city. And so they've built these relationships. So their council is able to withstand changes in administration. They're able to make their um, the work that they do relevant to other agencies. And so people are starting to work with them on different projects. And so they have this, they've built this credibility within the city so that they can continue to do their work and continue to make success with the policies that they're trying to implement. And also they've started now a new initiative that brings in residents living in the different districts in the city of Baltimore to help decide what are the policy initiatives that the city should work on and really elevate the voice of the residents within the community as as advisors and lend credibility to their role in the food policy initiative. Um, so for them, their success is not necessarily beyond Baltimore, even though they do a lot of work outside of Baltimore as well, but it is those relationships in their city government and making it so that they they're durable and sustainable and credible. So it seems like a lot of the work right now, I mean, obviously, um, with food policy councils is is happening um, at the state and local level. Um, I want to ask all of you this question, but Claire, maybe you can kick us off. Um, what do you do you think that there is an opportunity for this kind of work to happen at the federal level? And if so, what would that look like? I definitely see an opportunity. I think as long as the federal government continues to play a significant role in shaping food economies um, throughout the country, then local communities will need to interact at a federal level, at some level, and figure out what makes sense for them. Our Food Policy Council has tended to be pretty focused on our local area, but that's changing. I mean, we're in a new context and a new landscape, and so there Mm -hmm. is appetite, I think, for um, stakeholders on a local level to weigh in on state and national conversations. And I see food policy councils as a place where leadership develops, leadership gets activated, people participate in the process, they find their voice, they hone their expertise, they figure out how best to contribute to a conversation. So I can see a situation where food policy councils, regional food policy councils across the country become more coordinated and in conversation with each other about how we'd like to weigh in on, for example, the Farm Bill, which is up for renewal in 2018. An example of this happening already in Los Angeles is just this last week, we held, we co-hosted a listening session about the Farm Bill that was um, driven by the California Department of Food and Ag. They were going up and down the state of California, talking to communities. Los Angeles was the only urban community that they visited, but their goal is to get a pulse for what people are feeling and talking about so that they can develop their policy platform in interacting with Congress next year. I think that's a great example of coordination amongst local communities, food policy councils, state government, and then weighing in on a federal issue. Um, but what about in terms of like a like an appointee? Uh, in terms of like the federal structure, do you think that, um, I mean, Karen, this is for you. Do you think that like in addition to kind of the coordination on issues, there is a role for this type of position within an administration to kind of oversee all of the work happening throughout the country? Or is that kind of like too broad, too disparate 
to wrangle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at the federal level, there's been a couple of attempts to have a federal kind of unified food policy. And um, the USDA, we have all these different departments working on different aspects of the food system. Um, and there's always a need for better coordination. And I, I, but I don't know that the, you know, that the time is right for that position to come about. <laughs> um, but that's said. Yeah. But also, there's, you know, there's also this factor that food policy councils work on a state and local level because that's where they see the most impact in what they're doing. Right. So elevating, there's a, there's very much a space and a needed space to elevate that voice and their concerns at a federal level. Right. And having an ability and space to be able to do that. Um, but their work really is about changing the environment that they operate in at the local level. Um, and so we do need to open up that space for them to elevate their voice and help them to understand what are the avenues that they can get engaged at a federal level. The Farm Bill comes up for reauthorization in 2018. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of interest coming from food policy councils in terms of understanding what's going to happen yeah. um, and how do they get involved and who do they turn to um, and where do they get information. And there's a lot of organizations working at a national level that can provide that information to them about what, what their organizations are doing, what their policy agendas are. Um, but, you know, there's a vacuum in some ways around having an organization that coordinates across the food system for a unified agenda. Um, I would just add two small points. The first is that I think, kind of going back to the question about success, I think it it just looks so different. That was one thing that I got talking to some of the food policy councils is, for example, um, the Del Norte County and adjacent tribal lands community food council, they talked a lot about their goal really being strengthening the local capacity, really strengthening the local food system and really working with partner organizations. So maybe it's not on a particular policy issue. Maybe it's this kind of general idea of how can we make these partner organizations stronger around us. And since they're grassroots, it's not going to be that they have a bigger, you know, budget themselves necessarily. And then, you know, other councils have these, like, really specific content goals. Mm-hmm. And then my the other thing I just wanted to say is I think the federal, it's interesting, but think about the different levels, but it, I think you also just have to take a step back and say where, you know, what level of government has jurisdiction over these issues. And, in you know, it's different, obviously, state by state, local governments have different levels of power, but I think in a lot of cases, there really are things that can have a significant impact at these more local levels. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes like food procurement, like sometimes that doesn't even have to be a government policy at all. It can be getting the non-governmental, the business sector yeah. involved, and that can make a huge impact. So I think, you know, councils, when they're thinking about this, they really kind of analyze their issues and then think about where they can have the most kind of, most kind of you know, thing for their buck, so to say. That actually reminded me of something. Um, Claire, you mentioned that you work, uh, the food policy, the LA Food Policy Council works with um, both the public and the private sector. Is there an example of the kind of initiative you're working on with the private sector and like what they can, you know, how they can contribute to the work that a food policy council is doing? Sure. One example that comes to mind is, and this was another project that came out of one of our working groups, um, back in 2011 or so, there were a number of market makeover projects happening across L.A. County. So these are uh, projects to support mom-and-pop grocers or corner stores or bodegas, as they're called back east, <laughs> to help them sell healthy food in low-income areas where there's a lack of healthy food options. 
and the working group looking at the landscape of these various different um, market makeover projects said what's what's missing here is a sustained effort to make sure these projects succeed by bringing business development resources to these corner stores so that they're really operationalized operationalizing the fresh inventory and it's not just a one-off that you know once the program is over they say okay well that was fun I'm not going to sell fresh fruits and vegetables anymore Mm -hmm. so we created a training called um, from corner store to community grocer everything you need to know to be a healthy food retailer and what we did is we leveraged our network of private sector partners who had expertise to bring to bear they were the trainers they were the instructors at the training that training was very successful we had about 100 corner stores in the room for a full day learning techniques for their business and so we decided to grow it out to be a program which is now called the healthy neighborhood market network and that program is still that you could consider our faculty i guess you could say our private sector partners so these are people with uh, industry experience it doesn't have to be food related they're marketing experts branding um, people who are working in various aspects of business operations who come to our trainings and share what they have with neighborhood markets to help them bring healthy food to communities Hmm. Okay. Um, All right. So I know that everyone out there listening is um, wondering how can they get involved in their local uh, food policy council? Because David, sorry, my um, my engineer David is is definitely wondering. Just got (laughs) 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 he he supported that um, statement. Um, But yeah. So, uh, Karen, can you direct us to, is there like a resource that um, the center puts out where anyone can kind of go to access, um, you know, more information on what they can do at the local level? Sure. So we, uh, we have a website, foodpolicynetwork.org, and it has, um, where we have, on that site, we have a directory of all of the food policy councils that we know of mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. and Canada. And so if you're looking to get connected with your food policy council, that's probably the first stop to go and find out if there is one in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, there's a number of things, resources we have available through a database of resources that talk about how you can start a food policy council in your community. Um, it has some toolkits, best practices, uh, case studies if you want to know how other food policy councils are doing their work. So there's a resource database of 900 uh, resources that you can go through and they're free to download. And then the third thing we have available is a listserv, and it's a moderated listserv, so you sign up, and we try to keep the post relevant to food policy and to food policy councils, um, and it's a way that we try to facilitate conversations amongst food policy councils, uh, looking for information about what others across the nation are doing. Uh, we share information about events that are coming up as well, such as webinars or if there's a conference. So it's a really great resource to understand what's happening across the nation, but I would definitely say start with the directory and see if there's already a food policy council in your community. All right. And Claire, anything uh, coming down the pike from from L.A.? Well, if folks are in the Los Angeles area, they are welcome to uh, get involved in a working group. We have yeah. six active working groups. They're all listed on our website. Um, we have a calendar of working group meetings that people can check out. And we also host uh, quarterly convenings where all of the working groups come together. They're also open public events. We call that the network. And at those uh, different events, we explore food policy issue areas. It's really a way to coordinate and connect our efforts and build some public awareness around the, all the issues we're working on. So our next network event is called the State of the Food Desert, and it'll be on March 24th. If you're in L.A., please come. All right. And um, sorry, what is the, where can they get more information on your website? Oh, our website is www.goodfoodla.org. 
All right. Um, well, we're going to have to um, wrap it up for today, but I, it was great to have all of you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been fun. Okay, I want to <laughs> give a big thanks to our guests, Karen Banks, Elise Sussman, and Claire Fox for coming on the show today. Also, thank you to our sponsors for your generous support. Our show is produced with help from Taylor Lenzet, and show music is by Tim Archer. Thank you also to our engineer, the one and only David Tattashore. Um, all episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Like, share, follow, and post to us on Facebook and find us on Twitter at EatMattersHRN. I'm Jenna Liute, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.